Uh, today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is a season that begins the church calendar, the church year, and it's a season of waiting with patient and hopeful expectation for the birth of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus the King. So what we're doing today in our services is we're re-entering the story of Israel and it's long waiting, it's long expected hope that Jesus would be born. And we're acknowledging that we're waiting yet again for Jesus to return and to set everything right. We're going to begin this special service with a call and response. The words are going to be on the screen. I'll read the part that says leader. You can read the part that says people with all the gusto that you have today. So Jesus, our Messiah and long-awaited King, we gather in your name. With hope we come. And Jesus, the lights of our salvation, set the world right today. With hope we come. Jesus, our healer, our deliverer, free the oppressed, gather the lost, redeem the broken. With hope we come. And Jesus, our souls yearn for your arrival. Our hearts long for the coming of our Lord. With hope we come. Let's worship the Messiah today together. Good morning, New Life. Let's sing out this great opportunity of how much grace God has given us. Let's sing it out. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above.
is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Death could not hold you 
sing together. And holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning, our song shall rise to voices all over the room and sing this together holy holy Amen. Would you join me? 
Would you join me in saying this collective prayer for the first Sunday of Advent together? The words on the screen, let's pray it together. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, New Life Downtown. Middle schoolers, you are dismissed to youth group. We love you all. Have a great time with Pastor Brock and the team today. And good morning, everyone. Hello to everyone who's watching online. We love you. We miss you. Hope you're staying warm. I heard it started snowing between the time that I arrived this morning and when you arrived. So thank you for uh, coming. Hopefully the roads were safe today. If you are new or newer or visiting with us today, thank you for joining us here at New Life Downtown. We would love to get a chance to meet you, answer any questions that you have. If you could take a moment to pull out your phone and scan this QR code here or do it after the service out in the lobby. Tell us that you're here and then stop by the Welcome Center after the service so we can give you a gift and answer any questions uh, that you have. That would be absolutely wonderful. Uh, at this point, we're going to turn our attention to several different things here uh, for our service. We're going to receive our tithes and offerings and then we're going to light our candle uh, for the season of Advent and then our worship team is going to lead us in some special music uh, before our gospel reader comes uh, this morning. But as we prepare our hearts to give, I want to take a moment to pray for some of our other congregations today. So at New Life Friday night and New Life North and New Life uh, Midtown, and at New Life Nueva Vida, uh, our congregations are taking up special legacy offerings to help pay down their building debt and free up more resources for ministry in our city. And so we want to pray for them, as well as continue to pray for our participation in our congregation here. There are four ways that you can give online or via the app. You can give by dropping down in the drop-down menu to New Life Downtown. Or if you'd like to support those other congregations, there's a place where it says Legacy Offering. You can give there to help support uh, those efforts. So there's boxes in the lobby, or there's uh, mail. If there's, uh, for those of you who are watching online, there's an address there on the screen. But Jesus, we do pray. Uh, for resources to be released uh, for kingdom work in our city. We pray for the debts on the properties that you have entrusted to us to be paid off and that we would be positioned as a church to continue the ministry of Christ in our city. We long to just to follow you in ways that bring hope and peace and joy and mercy and justice and goodness to those in our city, our nation, and our world. And so as we give here today and as our other congregations give uh, toward their legacy offerings, we ask that you would move in great might and in great power. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Scott. This is my uh, wife, Melody. And then we have some of the members from our meal group with us. This is Jay, uh, Bill, and Corey, and then uh, our kiddos. Um, today is the first Sunday of Advent. So as Israel waited for Jesus to come, we wait with the church for Jesus to come again. We light this candle as a symbol for our hope in Christ, and we join the psalmist in declaring. We put our hope in the Lord. 
He is our help and shield. Our heart rejoices in God because we trust his holy name. Lord, let your faithful love surround us because we wait for you. May this light remind us to set our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We invite you to take the next few moments to reflect on God's hope as the worship team shares some special music with us.
Hello and good morning. My name is Cor Vanderwell. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Luke 1, 26 through 33. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one. The Lord is with you. She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will receive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray today, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We do pray that in you, we would find room for all of us today. In your wounds, we would find room for all of ours. In our pain and our shame and our grief and our hope and our joy and our peace, that we would find room for all of us and all of you today. Teach us, show us, reveal to us once again the marvel, the wonder of King Jesus and his work for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you again, everyone. Uh, again, my name is Jason. I serve as the lead pastor here. If you're visiting with us, thank you for being here. If you're a member of our congregation, please make sure you take time to introduce yourself to those around you that you don't know today. Today is the first Sunday of the season of Advent, and the different Sundays of Advent have a theme that gets associated with them, uh, a candle that gets lit and a word that gets spoken an idea that gets presented to us over and over again in the season of Advent. And this week, the word is hope. Hope is such an important word. It's a critical word. It's a significant word for us as humans. To be human is to have the capacity to hope. To have the capacity that believes that there is something more than what there currently is. To have the capacity to hope, to wish, to dream, to plan, to prepare, to set goals, to make plans. And to think that there is something more than just today. There's something more than just what is currently. And that there is hope on the horizon that things will not always be this way. To be hope or to have hope is not simply to be an optimist. To have hope is to realize and to recognize that not everything is the way that we want it to be. Not everything is the way that we hope it would be. To have hope is to acknowledge that there is loss and there is lack and there is grief. There is trouble. There is pain. There are things that we wish were different. There are things that we pray were different. There are things that we were working on to be different, but we hope that tomorrow or the day after or the day after that or someday in the future that things will change to be human is to have the capacity to hope that things could be different. And to be Christian and human is to hope, is to hope that one day 
all of the unfilled promises of God will be filled. To believe, to hope, to trust that this world and the way that it currently is and our lives, the way that they currently are, are not how they will remain forever. But instead, we believe in a God who made promises. Some of those promises have been fulfilled. Some of them are left unfilled. And we hope and we wait with hope for the day that those promises will be filled once again to be human is to have the capacity to hope to be Christian, is to hope that the God of Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will fulfill his promises in this world, either in our life or in a life beyond us. But whenever he does, it will impact us in ways that we can only begin to imagine. During the season of Advent, we're gonna be looking at some passages in the Gospel of Luke Specifically, the passages that promise Jesus' birth and precede his coming into the world. We're going to begin today in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there, if not, the scriptures are going to be on the screen as we look at the stories of Elizabeth and Mary. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph a descendant of David's house, and the virgin's name was Mary. We're introduced to the woman Elizabeth earlier in this chapter. We're told that Elizabeth is an older woman. She's married. Uh, her husband, Zachariah, is a priest. They both are descendants of priests. They are pastors, kids, kids, kids. We're told that they are righteous or blameless. In other words, they are upstanding citizens. They're good people with good reputations in their town, in the people around them, and they have a proper sort of pedigree. They both come from good families. But then we're told that Zachariah and Elizabeth have been unable to conceive their whole lives. That despite all of their uh, life and reputation and their families and their belief in God, and despite everything that they have worked for as priests and as children of priests, that they have had an unanswered prayer their whole lives. They have been unable to conceive a child. Some of you know that specific pain of what it's like to hope and to wish and to want and to explore every avenue for childbirth and to find pain and disappointment and for that to repeat itself over and over and over again. Others of us maybe don't know that pain, but we can relate to something like it. Maybe we've had some longing that was never realized some hope, some dream, some prayer that we have made every effort to attain and prayed every prayer in every possible way that we could think of and asked every other person that we know who's a person of prayer to pray for us and just it has not come to pass. This is Zachariah and Elizabeth's story. We're not sure how many decades long that they have been waiting, but they have been waiting for a long time. 
And in the first century, to be barren carries with it a number of other things, not just the, the pain and the disappointment and maybe the challenges that it creates inside of a marriage, but there is a social shame that comes with that, particularly in religious communities of what is wrong with you? What is going on under the surface? Is there some reason that God has not blessed you? You think that he would, maybe there's something that we don't know about your lives. And it comes with significant economic risk that in the first century to have children was a way of guaranteeing care into the future when there was no socialized medicine or social security or any of those kinds of things that different countries look at now to take care of those who are elderly. So they were dealing with pain and disappointment. They're recognizing that there is some shame or some confusion, and then there's risk for them. Their seemingly favorable life lacked the favor that was expected, lacked the favor that they wanted, and hope was long past its expiration dates in their lives. And then an angel visited Zechariah one day in the temple and promised an old man and his elderly wife a son. And they returned home and Elizabeth became pregnant. And then she keeps to herself. She kept to herself for five months. For five months, she did not go out of her house. For five months, she did not tell anyone. And we're not told why. Perhaps it was the anxiety that she felt maybe from previous miscarriages of how do I know? How do I know that this time is different. Maybe it was to avoid any sort of ridicule in the city to go out at her age and to say, guess what, I'm pregnant. Maybe they thought that she had lost her mind and that she just couldn't go and share until five months in when she was clearly showing where there was evidence of hope being birthed in her. At that moment, she re-entered public life. And we can imagine that word spread very quickly among the town and especially among the family. Can you imagine the whispers? Can you imagine the snickers? <laughs> like, okay. Can you imagine the doubts? Can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine the comparisons to Abraham and Sarah? And the questions, what? What is God doing? How, how is this possible? What is God up to? In the midst of all of that, it's about a month later, his word is probably spread all the way around their version of the front range. An angel appears to a relative a long way up the road in a backcountry village called Nazareth a previously unmentioned settlement in the countryside where there's a young unmarried woman named Mary who's on the opposite end of life as Elizabeth. And unlike Elizabeth and Zachariah, we're told nothing about her lineage other than somehow she's related to, to Elizabeth. Maybe she's the third cousin twice removed, whatever that means. Some of us wish we were twice removed from some of our family members but not sure exactly the definition of those things. We're told really nothing about her life other than that she's related to Elizabeth and she's engaged to Joseph. And Joseph is a descendant of David. He has some standing. He has some stock. There's something about his life that is spectacular, but she has little to none. And she's from nowhere. She's young. She's female. She's unwed. She's childless. 
She comes from maybe a questionable heritage. And what we can interpret from later passages is that she's poor and the person that she's engaged to is probably poor as well. In her worlds, she cannot get any lower unless she was a Gentile, unless she was outside of the promises of God. She could not have any sort of lower status and yet God comes to her the unlikely and the lowly. And the angel comes and appears to her in Luke 1, 28 and says, when the angel came to her, he said, rejoice, favored one. The Lord is with you. And she was confused. She was perplexed by these words and wondered, what kind of greeting is this? What might these words mean? And the angel said, don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Mary was more perplexed by the angel's words than the angel's appearance. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute, what are you saying? I would be a little bit freaked out about the angel being, you know, showing up in this moment. And instead, she's confused. She's perplexed. And she's particularly confused about his words. Favored one. The one that God is honoring or the one in the original language that God is gracing. And Mary says, excuse me, say what? What are you talking about? Later on in her song, which we'll look at in a couple weeks, she sings this beautiful song and she says, he has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, Everyone will consider me highly favored. She was fully aware of her humble or humiliating state. She knew why she was among the most unlikely recipients of an angelic visit, much less all that the angel is going to say. She had a long list of disqualifiers of why she would not be the one to receive a visit like this. And maybe you do too. A long list of disqualifiers, a long list of things that say, well, it couldn't be me, or it shouldn't be me, or God can't use me, or God can't speak to me, or God won't show up to me, or God won't move on my behalf, or God can't do this, or he won't do that because of this and because of this. If he only knew who I was, if he only knew where I came from, if he only knew what had happened to me, if he only knew any of these kinds of things, what we discover inside of the gospel is that God is a God who always looks after the lowly and favors the unfavorable. This is who our God is. He's a God who looks after the lowly and he favors the unfavorable. He shows up in the most unlikely places to the most unlikely of people. And on the surface, it seems like what God's favor results in is a change of fortune, particularly that God showing up always means kids in this story. But it's easy to assume that whenever God favors us, it means that we get what we want, that we get what we, that we've been planning for, that we get the, all of the answers to all of the things that we've always wanted in the way that we want them. And correspondingly, we can assume from passages like this that if we have lack, if we have loss, if we have longing, that those are signs of God's displeasure, signs of the absence of God's favor. But we have to remember for Mary, this is a surprising moment in her life. 
This was a miraculous pregnancy and a pregnancy that came with all kinds of risk, not to mention the risk that just happens in childbirth, particularly in the ancient world, where any woman who became pregnant had the face of death staring at them, knowing that either they or their child might die because of the dangers associated with childbirth. But for her, it also meant a tarnished reputation. Wait, how did the virgin get pregnant? And it jeopardizes, we see later on in the story, that it jeopardizes her relationship with her fiancé. How did my fiancé get pregnant? It wasn't me. What is going on here? This was not what she was looking for. This was not what she was asking for. This was not her hope. This was not her dream. This was not her prayer. At that moment, maybe someday after the wedding, she would certainly have hoped and prayed for a child. But when we think about it, we have to think deeper. We have to think differently. We have to think Christianly about God's favor. That when we look at the text, we see that what favor is, is that God favors people with his plans. He favors his people with his purposes. He favors his people with his ongoing work in the world. Zachariah and Elizabeth and Mary and all of those others get caught up in this story, become the recipients of and the participants in what God is doing. This is what it means for them to be favored, is that they become recipients of the ongoing work of God, the fulfillment of God's promises. They become recipients of the good news, and they become participants in it as well. God comes to them, and he includes them. He lets them in. He invites them in. He brings them into participation with what he is doing. This has always been God's way. Whatever he's doing for us, he also does with us and through us. Whatever God is longing to do, it involves us and our participation in it. And then we get a chance to see here what exactly his plan is as he tells Mary, look, here's what's going to happen. You will conceive and you're going to give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus, which means God saves. And he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high, the son of God. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father, and he will rule over Jacob's house forever. And there will be no end, no end to his kingdom. The angel's words echo God's covenant with David that we find back in 2 Samuel chapter 7 as God comes to David, Israel's second king, and promises David that one of his, de- his descendants will succeed him. We find the initial fulfillment of that in Solomon, but the promises of God, they cascade and they expand and they extend beyond Solomon and into the future and here even into eternity with all kinds of depth and beauty. And an angel comes to Mary and says what God had promised a thousand years before. A thousand years before. He's now doing. He's now doing here and now all those promises that he made, they're coming to fulfillment. He's establishing his kingdom. As Pastor Brock said last week, he's doing it here and he's doing it now. And he's establishing it in the most surprising of ways. Israel expected 
But God's promises would come through the birth of a child who would be the new king in the line of David. They expected that that child would be a direct descendant of David. They expected that God would, would act toward the king like a father to a child, just as he had done to the other kings. But they did not expect that God himself would become human. That God himself would become that child. But that's exactly what we see happening in Jesus. Mary goes on to ask, like, how will this happen since she's still a virgin? And the text says the Holy Spirit will come upon her and overshadow her, and she will become pregnant with the very Son of God. See, in Jesus, what's happening in all of these moments is God is uniting himself with our humanity. God is uniting himself with humanity. Jesus is God incarnate, God in the flesh, the eternal preexistent son of God entering into the world, fully God and fully human, truly God and truly human, and yet one person in this great mystery. The early church fathers and mothers described this in really theological terms, described this as the hypostatic union. The perfect union of two natures, fully God and fully human. Roger Olson, one of my favorite theologians, says it this way, Jesus Christ on earth and now in heaven because of the incarnation is two what's and one who. <laughs> fully God, fully human, and yet one united person, two distinct but never separate natures, divine and human, and one fully integrated person, the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity, like the doctrine of the Trinity, this idea of one God and three persons, these natures cannot be fully named, but we're invited to fully embrace it, to wonder and to pray and to imagine what does this mean for us? What does it mean that God, fully God, became fully human without getting rid of any of his godness? Many of the heresies throughout church history, those that are even still present to today, are deny this mystery. They deny his divinity and say, ah, oh, Jesus, he just was a really good dude that found some favor. God decided, I like that one. I'm going to adopt him as my kid. I'm going to raise him from the dead. I'm going to do something different with that human, deny his divinity. Other heresies de deny his humanity. It says, you know, he only looked human. He was just pretending. He was faking all of that human stuff. It was just some sort of facade or heresies will make this huge difference. Well, there's the eternal Christ and there's the human Jesus. We shouldn't confuse the two of them or they'll deny his unity in some way and say, well, you know, the, the humanity part was not really like fully united. They were kind of separate in some way. And the church has said throughout the years, no, 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 fully God and fully human. Why? Why does the church get all fussy about this kind of stuff? Why do we have long books and treaties and councils and all kinds of conversations trying to understand this? Because it involves the identity and therefore the mission of Jesus. And what the church has said over and over and over again that God became fully human in order to fully save humans. That God became fully human in order to fully and wholly and truly and completely save all of us. Gregory, an ancient church father, said it this way. He says, for that which he has not assumed, he has not healed. But that which is united to his Godhead is also saved. 
That which he has not assumed, he has not healed. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has assumed all of us. He's assumed all of our humanity. God unites himself with us in order to heal and to save us. He unites all of his divinity with all of our humanity that every aspect of us might be healed and saved. What does that mean? It means there's no part of you and no part of me. No aspect of your life and no aspect of my life. No moment in your history, no moment in my history, no plot line in any of our stories that cannot be forgiven and healed and restored and redeemed and set right in some beautiful and miraculous way. Amen. There's no part. There's no part that Jesus is not, that, that's so sort of broken about us. It's like Jesus can't touch it. Or that's so distant from God that it's like, it's just too far from me. Or that's so shameful that Jesus says, I don't really want to have anything to do with that. You're going to have to clean that up first and then come and talk to me. There's no part of us, even the parts of us that we're scared about anybody else in the room ever knowing fully the depths of our thoughts or the depths of our actions and some of the most painful and shameful places in our life, there is none of those things that God has not assumed on himself by assuming all of our humanity that he might heal and redeem and restore those things. He's assumed all of our physicality. He can heal all of our mental health, our financial health, our relational brokenness, our sexual brokenness and confusion is not beyond him. Our concerns about our vocational wholeness are on and on and on. When we think about our addictions, we think about our brokenness, we think about our hurts, our habits, our hangups, when we think about the things that we have done, when we think about the things that others have done to us. When we think about the great violations of our own humanity, either those that we committed volitionally or that others committed against us, there's nothing that he has not assumed, so there's nothing that he cannot heal, that he cannot redeem, that he cannot come into, that he wants nothing to do with. He became fully human, that he might fully save and redeem and restore all of us. He's assumed all of our humanity. He has fully and eternally united himself to us to heal us and to save us in every way. And because of that, we have hope. We have hope that even though that may not have happened yet, even though we still bear the scars of all those things, even though we still carry some of the shame around with us, even though there are still situations in our lives that are incredibly difficult and incredibly painful, even though we're still facing diagnoses that we never thought were going to happen, even though the pain in our bodies continues, even though we seem to still struggle to find hope and consistency in our mental health, even though we have bodies that are breaking down and getting older and not able to do the things that we were used to, even though we have all of these unanswered prayers, even though this hasn't happened, and that hasn't happened and we've worked so hard and tirelessly for this hope or this dream, even though none of those things have come to fruition and we still carry around so much loss and so much longing and so much lack, it means we still have hope because he fulfilled his promises then and we believe he will fulfill his promises in the future. 
He's assumed all of us, so someday when he returns, he will heal all of us, and he'll save all of us, and that hope helps us to wait. It forms and informs how we live with longing and says, this is not the end of our story. Yes, this is true. Yes, this is what's going on. Yes, this is what I've done. Yes, this is what has been done to me. Yes, these are the things that I wish no one knew. Yes, these are the things that I struggle with in the dark. Yes, these are the things that are happening when no one else is around. Yes, all of those kind of things. I have this anxiety. I have this fear. I don't know how I'm going to get groceries this week. I don't know how I'm going to pay for my mortgage. I don't know this. I don't know that. I'm so lonely. I'm so scared. Yes, all of those things are true, and yet we hold on to the hope that when Christ comes again, none of those things will be true anymore. Yes, they are now. But to be Christian is to hope that they will not always be. But even here and now, we recognize the king has already come. The king is reigning at the right hand of God. The king will come again someday. And so we have hope even for today that Christ can meet us in our lowest of places, we find that Christ is lower still. And he invites us into ongoing participation in his work in our lives and in the lives of others. What he sets before us always is his way, is an invitation to participation. Would you be the recipient of and a participant in the ongoing work of God in the world. He asks us to embrace him and to embrace his kingdom, submit ourselves wholly and fully to his ways, to be the recipients of his favor and the participants in his plans, whatever the cost and however long the delay. This is what Mary does. Mary, who finds herself in the lowest of places, a person without status in her world, finds the gaze of the loving God coming upon her, the lowly, and extending favor to the unfavorable, receiving this most audacious of news. And Mary says this. She says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be. Let it be with me just as you have said. Let it be. Let it be with me. Let it be with my loved ones. Let it be with us, the church. Let it be with our city. Let it be with the world. Let it be in every situation that we are concerned about. Let it be just as you have said. And we'll wait with hope until that day comes. As the worship team comes and as Evan comes to lead us to the table, the table is our moment to pray Mary's prayer. To pray the great prayer of let it be. To come to the table, to come to Jesus, to respond to his invitation to be recipients of his grace and participants in his plan and to come empty-handed and to say to him once again, God, let it be. Let it be with me today, just as you have said. And if not today, let it be with me, just as you said tomorrow. And if not tomorrow, let it be with me, just as you have said in the worlds to come. This morning, would you take a moment and close your eyes? I want you to think just for a second about 
your life, about your story? Is there a place in your life or your story that you think is too far removed from the goodness of God, too far removed from the grace of God, too far removed from the favor of God, too far, they're saying like, no, God could not reach into this. And you've heard the gospel today, it says, no, he fully assumed all of us that he might heal all of us. Would you be willing today to take that area to God, that thing to God, that hope to God, that pain to God, that whatever it happens to be, and would you close your eyes and would you say, let it be to me just as you have said? Would you let it be? Maybe you have a deep longing, a deep pain. Maybe you have some grief today. Maybe you're feeling hopeless in some way. Would you take a moment and be honest about that with God and say, let it be, God. Let it be with me just as you have said. And as you say, let it be, God, fill you with hope once again. Hope that does not deny the present reality of things, but holds on to the future when all of God's unfulfilled promises are fulfilled for us. Let it be. And that hope is also a response to the invitation to Jesus' table. This is Jesus' table. He invites us again that all who believe Jesus is the true king of the world are welcome to receive regardless of your church background or your affiliation. If that doesn't describe you, thank you for coming. Thank you for being part of this worship service on a snowy Sunday morning. We're honored that you're here, and we encourage you, keep coming back. Keep asking questions about Jesus. But if you are ready to begin following Jesus for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, we invite you to join with us as we confess our sin and ask for forgiveness and trust him yet again for salvation. The words of the confession will come up on the screen. Let's say it together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. Beloved, it is my joy this morning to announce good news to you. Words that are true, not because I say them, but because what God has done. So would you open up your hands and receive again the mercy of God. Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. And this proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. As those who have been raised to new life with Jesus, would you stand together now, greet those around you, and share the peace that you have in Jesus with one another, these brothers and sisters.
We declare this is truth, that Jesus is here. So lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks again to the Lord our God. It is right, all over the room, we praise him for the hope that he has made. He has made a way. And God, we declare that it is a good and joyful thing to give thanks to you, our Father Almighty. You are the one who formed us in your image and you breathed your life into us. When our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your son to be faithful on our behalf. We see that in these words, that on the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had blessed it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of Christ's mighty acts in Jesus, we proclaim together this mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and that Christ will come again. We believe that this, this table, Jesus' table, is a place of remembrance and a place of encounter. And we're gonna sing together. Uh, uh, we've been singing Holy Spirit come and in this Advent season as we're in the waiting and the longing, we're gonna, we're gonna appropriate the words to that season and our longings and say, come Lord Jesus, come. Come Lord Jesus, come. Come Lord Jesus, come. Come, 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 Lord Jesus, come. I want to invite their servers to come up. These are the gifts of God given to us, the people of God. Receive them in remembrance that Jesus has died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith. Well done. And with thanksgiving. If this is your first time here and you're wondering how does this work, you can watch those around you or you can scan the QR code and all the instructions will be in that place. If you are unable to come forward, uh, please ask someone around you to bring the elements back to you. This is a worship response to the great work of Christ and the hope that we have because of him. Let's come again to the table and receive.
as we close service today, if there's anything that you've come in with or anything that's been stirred up during our time together, the prayer and ministry team will be up front for as long as you need. The people who just serve you communion now get another opportunity if you want to take advantage of it, to pray for you, to carry whatever it is you're carrying along with you, and that's fulfilling the law of Christ, to love one another. Uh, a few things as you go out. The first is we have a, every year, every season of Advent, we have a bookstore, kind of a family bookstore out in the lobby. It has our annual devotional that is written by New Life Downtowners for New Life Downtowners. So you can pick yours up for a suggested $5 donation. And then we revised and reprinted the, uh, the, the liturgy prayers. So the pocket liturgy, long nights, and their prayers written by us as well to carry all of us and for all of us to walk this Advent season together as we long and wait and look for, for the birth of Christ at Christmas. Uh, so you'll see that bookstore right out there. You can grab these as you're on your way out. Uh, and for any families in the room, I wanted to highlight a couple things we've been telling you about, but make sure you knew about it next Saturday. So in six days from now, the, the city does the Parade of Lights and we do our annual Parade of Lights event. Pastor Catherine Sanchez will be out in the lobby if you have any questions about that or want to sign up. And then right after service today, for the families in the room, we're doing a lunch together and then packing those Springs Rescue Mission bags. We collected enough for 250 bags, Christmas Eve bags, to gift to the Springs Rescue Mission. And we're enlisting the kids today to pack them because it's an easy access way to get them and disciple them to worship, connect, and serve those in our city to be in the city for the sake of our city. So would you open up your hands now? I send you with a blessing that the hope that we have in Christ would be revealed to you uniquely this week. I bless you. That the assurance that we have of his birth, of his righteousness, of his walking in perfection and the law and the order of the Father and the way of the Father, his death and resurrection and his imminent return that you would have a, a special, a unique encounter, revelation, understanding, assurance of the hope that is secure because of who Christ is and what he has done. And that you would carry that hope out into all the world. A world that in this time, as the days get shorter and the darkness gets longer, that you would be a light of hope to them. That the Lord would bless you and keep you and make your face shine upon you and be gracious to you that he would turn to you and grant you peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Beloved, you are the light of the world. Now go and shine that light and stay salty, y'all. We'll see you around town and right back here next week to worship again.